Nah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, this is the fifth gift. Originally published Saturday, August 20th, 2005 on corrosion.org. Saturday, August 20th, 2003. That was like my third week of high school. Mm. Not that you asked. Okay. <laughs> okay. So making a new tunic reminded me of how far I had to go. I was using a lock stitching awl, which was a manufactured artifact, and waxed cotton thread, which was not of my own making. The leather was mine. I had killed the pig, skinned it, and tanned it tied myself. I had colored it with soot and vegetable dyes, but I had used a razor knife to cut it. More technology. One day I would have to take up flint napping. I wanted nothing to do with the world of other humans or their tools, but my childhood was spent working toward the PhD I would eventually receive in physics not learning the survival arts any hunter-gatherer would take for granted. Still, I had made much progress. I sowed and I planted. I kept my own seasonal calendar. I hunted and I preserved and prepared my own food. I built and thatched my own small cabin. I did not use electricity or refined fuel. It was a calming way to live, and I was more physically fit than I had ever been. It was almost possible sometimes to forget that I was never really alone. But while I was making my new tunic, the phone rang. The Iridium satellite phone spends its days connected to a little solar panel that keeps it charged. It's the one bit of high technology I cannot get rid of. If I were ever, if it were ever to ring and I were to fail to answer it, I would not be the only one to die. I'm here, I said irritably. The helicopter is on its way. Be ready. An hour later, I was flying, an old dream of men we have managed to turn into a terrifying boar. The pilot and guards didn't know who I was or why I had been summoned. They had only been told to kill me if I offered any resistance. But if it isn't Daniel Boone, Agent Smith said mockingly as I jumped out. I waited for the chopper to be gone before answering. I take it there's another one. Of course. Why would we annoy ourselves with your troublesome presence otherwise? The first gift. The first time I had met Smith and Jones, I was still young enough to be idealistic and patriotic, and their offer to let me help my country seemed like a wonderful opportunity. After I signed all the forms and passed the tests, I was taken to this remote and nearly empty facility in Idaho where I became the ninth person in the entire world to learn of the gift. It had been left outside the door of a farmer who lived near Indianola, Mississippi. It was an artifact, a solid cubic box about 20 centimeters on a side and with a small array of pure copper posts sticking out of one face. It came with a small booklet written in a dense, confusing mix of technical jargon, maths, and attempted explanations in several human languages. None of the other eight people who knew about it could make sense of this instruction manual, but I found that it made a certain kind of weird sense to me. I had been working on the problem for a week when I learned that the family who had received it were all dead. It wasn't the kind of thing I wanted to know, but it impressed on me the seriousness of what I was doing. The aliens called the box a matter generator, but we'd be more inclined to call it a matter duplicator. By connecting switches and potentiometers between the copper posts, it was possible to make the box mark off two cubic rectangular areas of volume. Make a certain contact and these areas would be isolated within perfectly reflective fields. 
It could be expanded or contracted by altering resistances between the other posts. As I worked out the user interface, I built a little control panel for it. It was actually a clever way for the aliens to do things. Instead of trying to build controls we could use, they built us an interface we could attach to controls that made sense to us. It could also be automated. Once you had made the contact that established the shielded volumes, if you made another certain contact, the contents of the first volume were copied to the second. The machine copied metal, plastic, steel, and diamond with equal ease. Copies of copies of copies of copies were indistinguishable from the originals at any magnification, even using techniques like X-ray crystallography. The machine would also make copies of itself. The copies worked exactly the same way the original did. Smith and Jones wanted to know where the copies came from. The instructions were quite clear on that. Once you penetrated the alien jargon, they were created whole. The matter was not taken from some other place in the universe. It was made by the matter generator. The generators also didn't seem to require a power source. They were powered by whatever first principle generated the copies. Nor was there any obvious limit on their use. A single such device could yield an endless stream of oil, fresh water, cool air, or any other commodity of interest, not to mention an endless stream of perfectly manufactured goods based on a single carefully built prototype. It did have limitations. It wouldn't copy living things, although it would copy dead things and food. It wouldn't copy certain intensely radioactive elements, and it would copy any radionuclide to its most stable and common isotope. Copies of bits of wood emerged containing no carbon-14 at all. Copies of old radium-dialed wristwatches did not glow. Copies of chemical high explosive did, however, explode quite normally. The matter generator itself seemed to be made of ordinary enough matter, which was presumably why it was able to copy itself. Chemically, it was a hard semiconductive ceramic material. If you drilled into one of them more than a couple of millimeters, it would stop working. But no matter how we destroyed them, there was no indication of dangerous energy stored within. The electron microscope revealed a very detailed but wholly mysterious structure at nanometer scale. When I had learned all that I could, Smith and Jones locked all the matter generators and their copies and all the copies of things we had made and warned me that if I told any about this, they would die. I protested that it was an awesome opportunity we were throwing away with this technology we could remake and clean up our entire world. And Smith smiled and warned me that my enthusiasm made them suspicious and any friends of mine who might have been told of my work might have to be eliminated on principle. What sane reason could there be for locking this thing up instead of using it? I demanded. Suppose we do remake our world with these things. Then suppose one day they all stop working. Can we risk that? You tell me we have no way to even begin to know how they work. Can we know that they aren't booby-trapped in some way? Unless we do know that, we have to make sure nobody even learns that they exist. Because this is too seductive. It really is too good to be true. It was a good point, which I'd eventually take to heart. Present day. This one has two terminals, Jones said. The instructions are even more opaque than usual. I'll handle that, I said, and they looked at me sharply. It irritated them to need me. This one was found in the central square of a village west of Veracruz, Mexico. A village square, eh? That must have been awkward. 
It's too bad you don't take the news. You might have heard about the terrible industrial accident they had down there. It sent a cloud of poison gas. There's a reason I don't take the news, I snapped. And Joan smiled wickedly. The second gift. When the second gift was found, I had already made myself alone. I had found a reason to break up with Jennifer and had distanced myself from all my old university friends. Somewhere there was a Swiss bank account with a large amount of money that was allegedly mine, but I had also inherited my parents' modest estate, and I was living on that in an apartment near Spokane, Washington. I found the Mountain View refreshing. This gift had two very large fat terminals on opposite sides of the cubic box and a small terminal central to them on a third face. I gleaned from the documentation that if I applied a voltage between either large terminal and the small one, the same voltage would appear between the two large terminals, up to 720 volts at 515 amperes. This was a much simpler gift than the first gift, but the first gift was central to its utility, for the matter generator could generate copies of the energy generator, and they could be gained in series in parallel. Using 10 of them in parallel, I made a piece of rebar glow like the filament of a light bulb, flashing incandescent white before it melted. Using them in series, I made lightning play across the shop parking lot. Using three of them, since the building had three-phase power, I used a little battery-powered oscillator to tickle them into powering our entire facility. This was just a parlor trick, I explained to Smith & Jones, that with enough of these, you could easily replace every power plant in the world because they could be distributed where they were needed. You could also get rid of the ugly and expensive distribution grid we used to move electricity around. One of these boxes would power an entire city block. A couple dozen of them would power even the hungriest industrial processes. But again, I got the lecture about becoming too dependent on something we didn't understand. When I allowed as to how we might be a little too important to keep to ourselves, Smith told me very gently that they had grave doubts about my dedication to the secrecy clause in my contract. In particular, they worried that I might have let Jennifer know too much. If they got too worried, Jennifer would have to die. I took the hint. But I also took another lesson. It wasn't just alien gifts I decided might not be trustworthy, and I started looking for a place where I could be alone. Present day. The gift with two terminals sat on a lab table. The lab was exactly as I had left it two years before. Nobody else ever went there. The other gifts, the copies made by the matter generators and so on, were stored in glass cabinets at the far end of the room. I started reading, or rather scanning, the booklet. The aliens didn't seem to understand our culture very well, which was one of the more worrisome things about their gifts. How could they know that these powerful things would not harm us? Their poor understanding of our own communication methods was not encouraging. After some brainstorming, I realized this was some kind of field generator. Short out the terminals, and the field would be established. I wasn't too clear on what the field was supposed to do, but one thing was very clear. It would encompass our entire planet and probably our moon as well. When I told Smith and Jones this, they became very dour. I'm not sure we can risk testing it then, Smith said. I'll have to check upstairs. Upstairs would mean one of the other six people who knew about all this shit. Well, if they wanted to destroy us, they could have made the very first box do that. Do you want me to keep working on the purpose of this field? Oh, absolutely. But under no conditions, try to test it. This could very well be the thing we fear most. I understand.
the third gift. By the time the third gift was found, I was living high in the mountains of Washington State, far from the nearest road. I was still pretty dependent on technology. I cheated a bit and used a chainsaw to build my cabin. But I had gotten books and was practicing the skills I'd need to survive on my own. While I was working on my cabin, though, Smith arrived by helicopter with a gift of his own. It was the Iridium phone with its solar charger. He allowed us to how a bit of solitude might help my demeanor. He elaborated that a reliable communication link would help me and all my old friends live to a nice old age. The third gift was called a force generator. It had a pair of terminals on each face. Establishing a low resistance path between the terminals would cause the box to generate a force pushing away from that face. The maximum force corresponding to a dead short would be nearly 10,000 pounds. Just bridging a pair of terminals with your fingers would make it slide away across the desktop. I sent Jones out to find an old car, and we spent an afternoon gutting the engine compartment and mounting a copy of the force generator to the frame. With an old game controller replacing the accelerator, the car would silently do 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds. Since the maximum force was greater than the weight of the car, it would pull itself easily out of gullies and mud. The maximum speed was limited only by the tires and suspension. I pegged the speedometer at 120 miles an hour several times. Like the other gifts, it didn't seem to require fuel or maintenance. I spent some time with the force generator trying to figure out how it sensed the control resistance. I couldn't detect any sense voltage across the terminals or any current flow when they were shorted, even with my most sensitive instruments. But then a technology that could create matter, energy, and force out of thin air might not need the usual methods to create to measure electrical resistance. When Smith and Jones were satisfied that I had learned all I could, I went back to my cabin without complaining about the benefits such a device could have for humanity. Humanity had already betrayed my expectations far more effectively than any aliens might hope to, and I didn't really care anymore. Present day. This is the key passage, I said as Smith and Jones looked on stonily. Within the field established by this device, the functioning of any self-directed goal-seeking information processing system is optimized. Then there's a lot of math, which would probably be of a lot of interest to anyone doing AI research. Self-directed goal-seeking what, Smith said. What are they talking about? Our computers? No, I said, I think they're talking about us. The fourth gift. The fourth gift was different. It was small, a personal thing not meant to be industrialized. It was the size of a stopwatch, flat and round, with a big flat contact on one side. The working was simple but vague. It claimed to generate a zone of safety around any person whose skin was in contact with its single electrode. Safety from what, Jones asked sensibly. There are a lot of suggestions, high-velocity impactors. Bullets? Fists? I'm not sure. Also a lot about the atmosphere. Apparently it keeps the air pure and excludes harmful radiation. Electromagnetic or nuclear radiation? Might be both. Testing it will be risky. If we get test subjects, you'll kill them after the tests, won't you? Smith and Jones looked at one another. There isn't much choice then I'll test it. We need your skills. 
Not so much that you wouldn't kill me if I didn't answer the phone. Smith shrugged. It's a bad situation. Test it yourself then, but try to be careful. Your voice just drips with a concern for my welfare. But I was careful. It did indeed repel kinetic attacks. Anything that would like, be likely to form a bruise was repelled. I worked my way up from the thwack of a ruler to more robust weapons, finally asking Smith to shoot me. I think he enjoyed that test a little too much. The bullet stopped dead about half an inch from my skin and fell to the floor. There was no force pushing me back, and it didn't bounce. Yet the amulet did not seem to interfere with normal activities like touching and manipulating things or eating. I'm going to give this thing a real test, I announced after a couple of weeks. I don't expect you to like this, but I'm going to do it. They watched warily as I pulled an old large pallet board out of the shipping bay and bolted three force generator copies to it. I pulled the passenger seat out of the force generator powered car and bolted it to the center of the pallet. And I bolted a couple of large boxes to the front corners flanking the front force generator. I needed controls for what I planned to do and thinking of where I was going to be going, I used my TI-83 graphing calculator. I told Smith and Jones that I wanted certain gauges and the next morning a large box arrived packed with the things I'd asked for. By the second evening, after I had my idea, I was ready to try it. A flying car, Smith said dryly. I'd never have thought of that. It might be more than that, I said, making sure the safety generator was solidly taped to my thigh. Maybe a lot more. I tapped keys and the pallet board lifted off slowly at first. I tapped more keys and it swiveled, dipped, swooped. I found a bug and landed, made some code changes, took off again. This time it performed as I had hoped and I nudged it smartly upward. At first there was a stiff breeze for my acceleration, but it soon thinned. At the front corner of the pallet, the air pressure was dropping perilously. It was down to two-tenths of a bar and dropping, but the gauge on my wrist was pegged at seven-tenths of a bar and I was breathing easily. A little later, the gauge on the pallet had dropped to zero and the sky had turned black, but my wrist still said seven-tenths of an atmosphere. I was in outer space and the fucking thing was keeping me alive. The moon was up, big and tempting. I pointed my little craft toward it and hauled ass. I accelerated about half a gravity for three hours and then reversed thrust. At turnaround, I figure I was going about 40 kilometers a second. I could have gone a lot faster, but it wouldn't have been good if the chair or one of the force generators had loosened itself from the pallet board. As the moon became a world hovering above me, I aimed near the edge in case I'd miscalculated the deceleration. Then I floated out over the other side. I found a crater and set my craft down. I don't know much lunar geography, so I can't really give you a very good idea where I was. I loaded up the front boxes with rocks and walked abound, the 13th person of my species to do so. Lucky 13. The naked sun was brutal, but my skin was cool and I was comfortable. I didn't seem to be getting sunburned. I took deep breaths and the air was cool and clean and dry. And there was no indication at all of where it was coming from or where it went when I exhaled. I looked directly at the sun and its brightness somehow dialed down to a range that made it observable. It occurred to me that I had finally attained a measure of solitude that few humans ever experienced. All I had to do was rip the tape from my thigh, separate myself from the safety generator 
and I could die on my own terms. But if I didn't return, all of my old friends would also die. I no longer cared whether I continued to live, but I wasn't yet at the point where I could accept responsibility for that. So I got back on the seat, strapped myself in, and floated up into the infinite blackness. From here, I could go to Mars or Jupiter or even some distant star, and with very little effort, one could use a gang of these force generators to outfit a properly equipped craft that could actually return home from such a journey. But instead, I went back with more difficulty than I expected, found the installation in Idaho, and delivered my load of moon rocks to a pair of rather dumbfounded agents. They made me take a physical, which showed no ill effects from my day trip in space. Clearly, the safety generator was as much space suit as it was mugger repellent. With such devices, it would be a trivial matter for humans to colonize all of the solid worlds of our solid system. But then again, what would happen if they just stopped working one day? I had my trip in space, and I took one rock with me home as a souvenir when I went home. The fifth gift. We've had an idea, Smith told me. That must have hurt, I said. The matter generator creates a perfect shield before the duplication process is triggered. We think you could test the new device within the duplication shield. It's certainly a better shield than anything we've ever built, but the book suggests this new thing is much more advanced. They seem quite proud of it. Well, the other thing would be to trigger it with a timer. Do you think the field would cut off if the circuit was interrupted? Yes, the book is very clear on that. Then let's test it in the duplicator shield with the timed cutoff. Upstairs, they think this is an acceptable approach. Well, who am I to argue with upstairs? So we set it up with the big alligator clips on the new gift and my matter generator panel. I set the matter generator controls to duplicate the test room into another empty room and wired up a trigger. The trigger would fire one time delay relay that would hold the matter generator shield up for 10 seconds and another that would trigger a second relay in two seconds. And that third relay would hold the new device online for five seconds. I figured that would give me time to sample its effects while hopefully isolating the rest of the world. We made the arrangements and I entered the test room. The agents watched through a closed circuit TV link that we all knew would go blank when the shield was up. I used a big screwdriver to tighten all the wires and then hit the trigger. The walls turned mirror. I was within the shield, just like the time we tried to see if the matter generator would duplicate me. It had copied the chair I was sitting on in my clothes and my jewelry and my wallet and even some threads we identified as being the permanent sutures from my hernia repair, but it didn't copy my body. This time, we wouldn't even be triggering the copy function. The second relay clicked. The new device came online. The walls were no longer mirrored. I found myself saying shit. And then the sanity generator. Five seconds. The fifth gift simply turned off the matter generator, which was a relatively primitive thing by the standards of our benefactors. 
As the fields established itself, it overshot, and for one bright moment, it seemed I was sharing the thoughts of every single human being on the planet. I could sense Jones and Smith outside the door, reeling from the same sense I was. Further afield was a dim murmur, except for people I had some connection with. I could feel the friends I'd abandoned, who were suddenly aware of me, as I was of them. In that moment, we knew everything about one another, and I knew that if Smith and Jones recovered their wits, they'd all be killed. And my friends knew that, too, and they forgave me. And I felt Jennifer. She had been seeing other men, but only because she thought I didn't care. I had abandoned her without explanation now that she knew why and the people I worked for would come to kill her. Four seconds. My consciousness reeling, I tried to find someone, anyone else to sense who wasn't going to die soon. Instead, I found someone so deep in gambling debt that he was staring down the barrel of a hitman's gun. The hitman was trying to pull the trigger, and his face was a mask of pain and confusion. I can't kill you, he was screaming. It's my fucking job, but I can't kill you. I can't kill you, and I don't fucking know why. I reeled again to some military training ground. The cadets, who had been marching smartly around, had halted and were standing at ease, shifting about, suddenly assaulted by doubts about the very nature of what they had been doing. And their sergeant, who had moments before been barking orders, was saying that maybe they needed to take a break. Three seconds. All violence, the very drumbeat of human existence for more than 100,000 years, had come to a halt everywhere on Earth. It was a thing I could feel in my very bones. And more than that, in the marble halls where policies were being set that might doom a generation to poverty, priorities had been suddenly and drastically rearranged. The men in those chambers had barely had time to lift their pens from the contracts they were signing, but things were very different with them. Somewhere, I don't know where, because the sanity field made distance a bit meaningless, a gang of young men were beating on someone in a hidden alley. It was clear in their minds that they had intended to kill their victim, but now, suddenly, the beating stopped, and the leader pulled out a cellular phone and dialed 911 to call an ambulance. I could still feel Jennifer, and she could feel me, and her reaction was not the hatred I expected and deserved, but delight. Her faith in me had been vindicated. I had only acted to protect her, and under the old rules, that had been a sensible thing. But now it wasn't necessary, at least for two more seconds. Two seconds. Somewhere in a European capital, a man was riding the subway with 12 pounds of explosives strapped to his body and a trigger in his pocket. He had been clutching the trigger, playing with it, stealing himself for his final act in the war between his people and their oppressors. But now he left the trigger alone, and when the doors opened, he left the train and returned to the world. Out in the open air of a nearby park, he would unwire and take off the explosives. Deep in a London slum, a room was filled with torpid bodies which suddenly quietly awakened. The heroine was no longer at work in them, but neither were they now addicted. They looked around with dawning expressions of horror and hope as if to ask, What the hell am I doing here? The field was leveling out. I was losing the sense of other people's thoughts and getting more of an idea of what the field was designed to do. And now I knew why the aliens were willing to trust us with these gifts we had thought so dangerous. To them, we were children, and these were the educational toys you would give a child so that he might develop to the point where first principles could be taught. This fifth and final gift was the most important of all because I understood implicitly our benefactors had originally made it for themselves. This is why we did not have to fear the other gifts being suddenly denied. We would soon feel the same way toward all of our own, and to do such harm would simply be unthinkable. One second. There wasn't a single human being anywhere on Earth now who wasn't aware of the gifts. 
there wasn't a single human being anywhere whose urges to violence and self-destruction hadn't been suddenly and more sensibly been redirected. No wonder the aliens were so proud of the fucking thing. Except that the timer was about to go off. Smith and Jones came in with solder and a torch. I was holding the screwdriver across the sanity generator's terminals, and I held it there while they fixed a permanent jumper across it. You might as well take copies of the other gifts with you, Smith said. We'll have to figure out how to distribute them. It shouldn't be hard. We can duplicate our own panels along with the matter generators, and with them driving the process, it should be exponential. Within a few days, we'll have the whole planet covered. It's hard to see exactly where it will go, Smith said. I'm not sure what we'll do. He looked at Jones. You'll find something, I said. You'll still be competent, well-controlled people, and nobody will resent what you did. No, I guess they won't, Jones said. If you don't mind, I'm going to take the pallet flyer. I want to find Jennifer. Of course. They helped me load copies of the gifts into the boxes. Don't forget this, Jones said. He handed me a second copy of the safety generator. You might want to take your girl on vacation. Fuck vacation. I might want to take her to live someplace where even an Iridium phone won't reach. And that's exactly what I did. This has been the fifth gift. Written and narrated by Roger Williams. For Tommy's podcast. That was fucking insane. <laughs> that's why you're my favorite author. Because that sensation is what I had reading Mopey. That was incredible. I'm going to splice this off the end of this episode and upload it as a, sec- a separate episode. That was fan-fucking-tastic. That was brilliant, Roger. Thank you. Truly, well, thank it, you. That was wonderful. That was beautiful. I thought you would like it. I fucking well, loved it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did a sort of a mini audit on myself after corrosion went down the flaming tubes and Mm -hmm. uh, realized that every story I've ever written that's fictional has been about the relationship between humans and some Mm godlike entity. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, obviously uh, my hobby horse. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and then, but this was one of the first things I ever wrote. Like I said, I had, uh, I wrote it in the eighties and then I lost my only copy of it in somehow in the computer shuffle. And uh, I reproduced it uh, kind of as an apology because I wrote another ep- uh, essay, which uh, I guess I can read that to you sometime, mm-hmm. called Hannibal Lecter, Transhumanist Icon. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, a few of the corrosion people who identified as transhumanists look, took issue with that. Well, so, <laughs> but uh, but I reconstructed that old story because I, I wanted to show them that, uh, as, as I had said about that essay, that it's just it's one of many ways of looking at the thing. You know, it's sometimes the godlike being is benevolent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the godlike being is uh indifferent Mm -hmm. sometimes it is a more rich complex thing i thought i thought it was beautiful 
and I almost kind it almost kind of ties in well with the whole Israeli space guy, right? Kind of galactic That's why I thought, I thought it was like I was I was going to just like well, okay, well I was planning to read that story to you. That was going to be the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after after we uh, we discussed all this, it was like, well, you know, actually, it this time fits is really it. really well. Actually, <laughs> actually, it couldn't have fit better, right? Yeah. So yeah, this, so this was this was uh, a take that I had in the late 1980s about how aliens might come, and you know now and 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 this story is a little bit of a Rorschach test mm-hmm. because there was a certain group that insisted on seeing the gifts as an eat here sign that, that they couldn't see the possibility of it actually being benevolent. They're, mm-hmm. they're, it had to be sinister. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I was like, well, if you look at the progression though, it's like, I don't, I don't see how you could get that out of it because as the, as the narrator himself says, the aliens just could have made the first gift they could a have. bad thing. Not even that. They could have just wiped us out without us ever even knowing. Yeah. And and my feeling about it when I was writing it is that these aliens might not even have three you know, solid three-dimensional bodies. They might be yeah. like plasma beings that live in yeah. the heart of a star yeah. or pure energy beings. And they're only aware of us because of the fifth gift thing, however that works. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they, they, they learned that there are – beings out there that of have other needs. other impossible what do i mean they might be in a different dimension they might be outside of four four dimensional time space yeah and but but they they learned of us just as as all of the through, people on earth were learning of each other in the last act through some they, sort of loving sentience they found out about us and so they gave us oh they, they, they know that we need we need energy we need uh the ability to make things we need you know so they they provided our needs mm-hmm. and then they provided us the sense to not fuck ourselves over with them. Yeah. So. <laughs> I fucking I like it, Roger. I think that's I think that's some of your best work. This is truly. Thanks. Truly. I mean, I am obviously a diehard of uh of Mopey, but that had the same effect on me as Mopey. It's just like it starts to dawn on me what's happening and it's like fuck yes. And what it reminds me of is in Mopey, when it's like they go to the White House and it's like the president resigned at noon, it's just kind of like, well, <laughs> all right, well, you know, it's like you said, like Reagan, like backs up, all right, well, you know, just kind of walk out the front door, whatever, yeah. it's over, yeah, doesn't doesn't well, well, because 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 in my mental space it was Reagan, yeah, 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 well, I know, yeah, and... it's like yeah, Secret <laughs> Service is just like all right, you know, they just leave. Yeah. doesn't matter he's, he's an actor he knows when the job is over yeah yeah i know he's like he's like all right he's like i like the energy everybody you know <laughs> you know and cut it's like all right but it's like yeah. this act that's been going on since the dawn of time and it's like we just hit this break and everyone's going to the green room it's like oh it's over now and it's that's what i liked mm-hmm. about it yeah <laughs> roger that was fucking brilliant that truly was but um Let's wrap this bitch up because I'm starving. But um, okay. I don't think I've ever ended a podcast for food. This might be a first. Um, uh, I think you did before. Well, yeah, th- I like that, man. That was we should definitely do more of because the two episodes we've done where you read, I've thoroughly enjoyed them. You're two for two. I think we should do another episode where you uh, narrate. 
All right. Well, and uh, it's like if once I figure out what the hell happened with the fucking microphone, yeah. then uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, next time, uh, if we don't have another topic that gets in the way, I'll do Passages in the Void. Fuck yeah. Look which at- is, uh, it's 10,000 words, so it should take about an hour. Fuck yeah. I'm down, man. I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy I get to be the audience member. I thoroughly enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Now, the one thing is, is that you might notice that I was I was facing the camera. The, uh, what I did is I put the zoom thing off on the side monitor and put my source material on the monitor under the camera. Yeah. So that I would be watching you. Yeah. But that also meant I couldn't see your re- your reactions yeah. because you were over there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, passages will be good for at least three stories because Fuck the yeah. first the first three stories were each about 10,000 words and uh, they start with the human race going extinct and artificial intelligences uh, picking up pieces Fuck yeah. in our stead Fuck so yeah. yeah those are the godlike beings in that universe Fuck yeah I mean this is I mean who else in the world gets to read a book realize that this is their favorite author meet their favorite author and then have their favorite author narrate stories by them that i haven't heard to me (laughs) who i mean in like how many times in human history has that happened where you're like hey jk rowling i loved harry potter and the sorcerer's stone she's like why don't you have a seat i'm gonna read you the next six and you're like (laughs) are these these well and you know well uh actually if we do passages the third of the passages stories each of which is about 10,000 words actually got published but i was paid uh second i I didn't have first north american serial rights anymore because i published it on corrosion so i was paid reprint Mm -hmm. at a penny a word bastards the oh no they uh, the same way 10,000 oh wait so that's what it was it was it was a hundred dollars and some odds, <laughs> like a hundred dollars and fifty one cents. Not bad. Not bad <laughs> um, at all. Hey, bought beer. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and the, the guy who uh, bought it was uh, it was published by a uh, uh, startup magazine called Bullspec, which is, I don't even know. I don't know what that. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like a fucking it sounds like a it sounds like a boner supplement you'd buy at a gas station. But uh, yeah, the guy, you know, before the guy started his magazine, he asked if I would be willing to sell him the the reprint rights to that particular story, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, man." And it was Fuck like yeah. four years later. Fuck yeah, I think that's badass, <laughs> man. Well, let's um, I'll text you. Let's definitely set up a a, a date next week, and okay. um, yeah, man, let's absolutely do that. Fucking, I appreciate it, dude. That was such a treat. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut that off the original and upload it as a uh, as its own episode because I don't want it okay. to be I don't want that to be lost in the podcast. I want uh, that's too good to be hidden. So that's what I'm gonna do. So um, yeah. Oh, dude, you mean you're gonna actually do some audio editing? No, 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 no. Don't get ahead of your don't get a, don't get ahead of yourself, Buster. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna splice here, and then I'll delete. So instead of going three clicks, I'll probably do maybe seven clicks in iMovie, which is really I'm going at it. That's fucking that's big dick energy for me, right? 
for everybody listening, uh, the po- I used to say it a lot, and then I stopped because I didn't give a shit. Podcast available on BitChute. It's not on Veo anymore. V e o h. It's some weird Japanese website. They stopped letting me upload after like 250 episodes, which is fucking gay and retarded. So fuck them. DTube, same thing. I uploaded like 100 episodes, and they were like, now it's only 5.99 an episode. I was like, I'm not fucking giving you money to give you content that you can put ads on. But I learned of a new website this morning, Rumble, that I don't think is new. I think it's smaller than BitChute. Maybe it's bigger. But it's another alternative to YouTube. And that's because as of today, YouTube says that um, if you post anything that they consider fraudulent election news, your channel can be yanked. Well, I have multiple episodes of, like, ex-Delta Force guys calling for, like, armed revolution. So I think it's only only a matter of time before this channel's gone. So, um... (laughs) As always, the link is on BitChute, will be Tommy's podcast, and it will now be on Rumble, Tommy's podcast. So um, you won't know when this channel is yanked because I won't be here to be able to make a post about it being yanked. The account will be gone. So it's only a matter of time. And um, I refuse to take down those episodes because I look at that as much as free speech as saying, buy Roger's book or I'll burn your house down. Like, it's just... I'm just not for it. So um, if this that's how this channel goes down, then I'm, I'll ride this bitch into the ground and uh, rumble and bitch shoot, and uh, it will never die. Regardless, Somebody will pop up. doesn't matter. Wherever we go, you'll still be coming back. We'll just be uploading on a new website. I don't give a fuck. Double middle fingers. Ride this bitch out. I don't care. Just 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 means the link I send my dad will have a different URL. Different you. That's all it is, baby. <laughs> same good. Same same goods. Different URL. Doesn't doesn't matter. We have the safety gift on, and it, it, I have that gift taped to my thigh. YouTube can abolish me. I'll be. Like, I'll just go to the next one. I can't. You can't fuck with me. So, eat a dick, YouTube. Google was founded on "Don't be evil," and there has never been a greater irony in the history of corporations. Think. Well, you know, I, I said that shortly after the IPO, Google dropped the word "don't" from their logo. <laughs> hey. They're just like, hey, we're just we're just making it simpler, and it's like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, 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 it's, uh-huh. yeah. Everything, everything. Well, it's it's, it's like delisting my uh, my website yeah. because I was hosting my own content. Yeah, you know, what? my wife yeah. warned me about that, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, you know what? It's you know he may be a nut job, but when it started with censoring Alex Jones a year and a half ago, I remember saying, I was like, we'll start with him, and everyone will applaud. And it will be one thing. So right now it's starting with 2020 fake news. Just you wait. Soon it will be, did you say something fraudulent about China? Soon did you say something fraudulent mm-hmm. about CO2 emissions? Did you say well, something? Well, it's, it's not soon if you're in China, in China right now. But no, no, it's now, been the case for like five years. But now in the United States, now it's going to be, did you say something fraudulent about, now they're going to get you for anything. And this is how it starts. So what a fitting episode that I'm wearing my Alex Jones hoodie. This is how it begins. <laughs> so we'll be on Rumble, BitChute, DTube, VO, all those. The show doesn't die. And if there is an electromagnetic pulse or a solar flare that wipes out all the data on the Earth, you got it all. On your I will be. I will corner the market on entertainment. <laughs> you will be me. I will be the state-delivered entertainment. Henry Ford. You can have a Model T in any color you want, as long as it's black. You can have any entertainment you want in a post-nuclear world as long as it's Tommy's podcast. 
I will reign. I will reign king, and you will be the storyteller. It will be oral tradition, and people will pass down our stories. I need some food because clearly, as my blood sugar goes down, I turn into a megalomaniac. So. Yeah, I, I, I kind of see that. Yeah, kind of see the horn sprouting. It's me, me. Soon, no. it's going to start getting a German tint in my words. But the blood sugar thing fucks me up too. So. Yeah. If he's slicing, slicing. Yeah, don't need that. But um, Roger Williams, author of Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, will be sticking in the top comment and in the description. Buy it tonight or I will burn down your place of residence. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Roger, I'll send you this one. This is a long episode. This one probably won't be uploaded till tomorrow. That's but, it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Whenever. All right, man. Yeah. Well, I'll shoot you a text and let's, uh, I'll, I'll, fuck, I'll screenshot the calendar right now. Shoot you a text and, um, yeah, let's do an honor narration next week. But until then, I don't need to do that right now. All right. All right, Roger. See I'll see you, man. I will see you before. We'll do another episode before Christmas, so I'm not going to say. Oh, right. I, yeah. I think we should. Yeah. yeah. We got probably got two more, right? What's today? Yeah. Ninth. Yeah, we still got two more episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. We I get, mean, yeah. This is only the ninth. Yeah. I don't know why I thought. I don't know why I thought Christmas was. We got the sixteenth and the twenty third. Well, I mean, this is Wednesday. Which normally we don't do Wednesday. So. But regardless, fourteen twice in fourteen days, that will be. Yeah, we'll do two yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, man. <laughs> Let's wrap this bitch up. Roger Williams, thank you, my friend. I'll text you, and until um, next time, brother. Peace, buddy. Peace.